We were told all along by our missions mentors nine years ago when we adopted an unreached people group that all the other missionaries that we support outside of that strategic focus will get more support from our church. And our local outreach to our neighborhoods would become more effective because the people of Lake City Church would become more interested and in, invested in Jesus' great commission. And we have seen that happen. And if you've been here over the last nine years, you've seen this growth and experienced this, and it's been exciting. We were also told that we would eventually be ready to add a second strategic focus, and then a third and a fourth as we grew. And we are officially rolling out on this Global Missions Weekend this weekend in services today and then at the dessert tonight, our adoption of three unreached people groups in the North Caucasus region, one of the most difficult and most strategic regions in the world uh, for missions. And we are adopting three unreached people groups, the Kumik, Akin, and Nogai, which together make the acronym CAN. And you'll hear more about that acronym and read about that in the missions page of your bulletin as well. Well, Kurt and Diana Chanda have been uh, serving as missionaries in this region for more than two decades. They've been dear friends to us for that whole time. They've been our primary contacts in developing this historic moment of Lake City's history. And Kurt, a great preacher of the word, will say more. Let's welcome him now as he comes. Kurt, come. Thanks, Reg. Okay, it's great to be with you this morning. Always love the chance to share with you. Anybody looking forward to seeing Jesus? <clears throat> you guys rock, man. All the other three services, I had to like prompt, you know, like, like nobody was really interested in seeing Jesus. <laughs> that was really odd. Um, it's, they're all sinners. You're all really saved. That's it. Yeah, <clears throat> it's good news to see Jesus. Um, if you're interested in seeing Jesus, did you know you can make him come back faster? Did you know that? Second Peter says, what kind of people ought to you be holy in contact, looking forward to and hastening the coming of the Lord? So in the midst of this terrible sermon that Jesus has given about all the bad things that are going to happen when it comes to the end, you know, wars, rumors of wars, the rising of kingdoms, persecution, rise of antichrist, earthquakes, famines, he inserts this line, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached as a witness to all nations, all people groups, and then the end shall come. Now, like, you, you can, you know, slice and dice this according to your eschatology, but that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, the gospel would preach to all unreached people groups, and then the end comes. So do you want to see Jesus? Yes. So getting on board with this kind of thing helps Jesus come back faster. <laughs> so, <clears throat> you know, if, you, if you've ever looked at real estate, the... Uh, do you know, like, land around water is more expensive? Does anyone know why that is? You know, on a lakefront or something like that? It's because there's only so much of it to go around. You know, there's only so many pieces of property that you can do around a lake. So there are only so many people groups left in the world. So this is your chance to get in on them before those other two million churches knock off the 8,000. So get on board. This is something to help bring Jesus back. And uh, it's a great thing to be involved in it. Um, as uh, Red said, Lake City's been a missions church. My wife uh, actually got her missions call here in this church and actually sort of had a missions altar call and came forth and gave her life to, to serve the Lord in missions. And so we really appreciate the journey that we've been on with Lake City and the support. And the team asked if I would just share briefly about our own journey and where we've come to at this time. Um, 
We've been in Kazakhstan for 20 years, as Pastor Reg said. Uh, the first 10 years we spent was in a remote town with about 240, 220,000 Muslims. No known believers in that, in that town at all for the, among the Muslims. And God did just some fantastic stuff in the 10 years that were there. And you've been here at Lake Surty. You've heard some of those, you know, stories of visions of Jesus and healing and, and you know, cows getting healed and, and crazy stuff. And it was all really, really great. And as we saw these things and, and we wanted to stay there, we just had the sense in our heart that it was time to change, you know, that the Lord was bringing a change. As we began looking at the believers that we, that we had seen come to the Lord, realizing that we were actually in the way from the local believers, getting the kind of authority they needed to go forward. And so he said, Lord, what's next? Do you want us to go to a different people group? Do you want us to go back to the States? What do you want to do? And he began speaking to our hearts in this time. And we had about a two years there. We just knew the Lord was going to bring something to move to Almada, which is the largest city to work with believers, Muslim background followers of Jesus, to put them into teams to go to new areas to pioneer new works. And that's what we've been doing the last 10 years, is working with believers and training them to see Kazakhs to go and do and pioneer new works. And we've got some really great stories, and we've taken teams up to the area of Dagestan, where we're going to adopt this unreached people group. But as we prepared for our sabbatical, we also began sensing again that the Lord was uh, doing something in our hearts, and it's preparing us for something. We began asking the same kind of questions. Lord, is this what you want us to do? Is there something else you want to do? We want to give our lives to, uh, to give the greatest impact for the kingdom. Now, I, I know I look young and that I'm a fine specimen of masculinity, but uh, I am older. And as you get older, you just can't do everything that you could when you were young. You know, as young, I was going to, you know, plant churches and raise a team and start an NGO and start a business. And I can do it all. And over time, you go, one, I'm kind of tired. And two, I'm not actually all that good at all the stuff. You know, there's some stuff I'm a little better at than others. And you think, you know, Lord, I, as you get older, you think, I want to give myself to the things that will most contribute to the advancement of the kingdom. And so those have been the questions in Diana and my's heart. You know, where can we most give ourselves to the advancement of the kingdom? So as we're preparing for sabbatical, we have this in our hearts. We're saying, Lord, we want to be renewed in our love for you. And we want to do the, most, the, the thing that would bring most honor and glory to Jesus. And this is what we got. You know what we got to work with. You know, you've, you've managed to do it something thus far. So we're going to trust you to keep doing some stuff with this little bit of, you know, talent you got going here. So I got, just before we were leaving, I got a call from our international director of Frontiers, where we've been for 20 years. And he said, um, hey, Kurt, I, I got a call from another mission called Global Teams, and they'd like to know um, if anybody from Frontiers that I could suggest that could, could work with them to be one of their senior leaders. Uh, he said, but you need to know that they probably have no intention of bringing you on board um, because they're going to hire from within. But the board of directors just wants to have some, some new insight and some input. It's kind of like being invited to a football game and told you're going to lose. Hey, you want to play football? You're going to lose. Oh, he said, oh, okay. He says, but I think it would be really helpful for them as you speak into the process because Frontiers has a different perspective. And so we prayed about it for a couple of days and said, okay, well, you know, we're going to lose, so why not? Uh, so we put our name in, and, and uh, we prepared our preparations and came back and started in our sabbatical and giving over ministry responsibilities to people. And didn't think a whole lot about it and didn't hear anything from global teams. And uh, so, again, we were just praying about it, and, and just in our hearts, we had a lot going on with the sabbatical. And uh, then I got another email and said, hey, here's the application. We'd like you to stay involved. Can you, can you fill out the applications? We filled out the application. The application led to a couple more conversations. And suddenly, 
people were showing more interest, and they said, actually, we really liked some of the things that you wrote, and could we have an interview? So I had an interview, and uh, after the interview, the international said, so that was good, you know, we liked that. And I said, okay, that's nice. Uh, they called me out to meet the board. And at the end of the time of the board, the board extended an invitation uh, for me to become the next international director of Global Teams. And we said, well, <clears throat> it's a little bit of a surprise since we were told <laughs> you were going to look for somebody else. So could we have a month to pray about it? And we came back and asked, you know, Pastor Jim and Pastor Reg and some of the members of the global team just to pray with us and say, is this, is this the Lord's will? We really want to do what most glorifies him. And so after praying, we've, I accepted, we accepted the role for me to become the next international director of global teams. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so anybody that's been in senior leadership goes, my condolences. Those that haven't go, hey, congratulations, way to go. You don't know what you're taking on, brother. So it's, uh, we are excited because we believe that the Lord can use our experience to see more unreached people groups reach. Global Teams uh, is uh, sending people from 35 different bases, 23 countries, largely in Africa, who are working with 165 people groups, not just Muslims, but Buddhists, Hindus, animists, uh, secular people. And, uh, but as I began looking at the organization, I went, oh my goodness, I am so far in over my head. And we, so we just really covet your prayers at this time of this transition. Our family will go back to Kazakhstan in May, at the end of May, to pack up our stuff and move to Florida. <clears throat> Some of you think that's a good thing, but if you live next to these beautiful mountains here, it's, it's a challenge for our family. So thank you for standing with us. Thank you for walking the journey with us. Uh, we really appreciate your love and support. And... Um, Hey, you guys are sowing into the harvest, and it's counted to your account. So we're going to take a look as we warm up to our, our message today. We're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to take a look at a profile of two companies. The first company you've heard of is the Coca-Cola Company, and their mission is to put a can of Coke within arm's reach of everyone in the world. And I was talking with a guy, and I think they've actually quantified this down to something like 15 to 30 minutes from every person in the world. This is their mission statement. That's, that's, that's fantastic. That's quite a mission statement. Let's see what they've done. They've got 100,000 employees now, $42 billion in revenues uh, in 2016, so that's an annual revenue, 131 years of existence, work in all but two countries of the world. Any guess what two countries they don't work in? North Korea. Yeah. And I know this because I was there and I asked them this. Cuba. Cuba, exactly. Cuba, North Korea and Cuba. And get this, 94% of the world's population, Coca estimates, recognize their product. You go to the Tamajic of Nigeria and go, you know what this is? Oh, that's a can of Coke. Can you believe that? 94% of the world recognize Coke. Now let's take a look at another organization. This other organization, the Church of Jesus Christ. Their mission statement is to go and disciple all nations. So very similar global reach. Let's see what they've done. So 55 million workers. That's how many evangelicals. Uh, how many employees of Coke? Okay, so um, for those of you that struggle with math, 550 million, 100,000, so yes, that's right. 550 million is a lot larger. $107 trillion in the hands of the church, Christians worldwide, representing less than 25% of the world's population with more than 55% of the world's wealth. It's a testimony of the power of the gospel to transform and to bless nations and people. But $107 trillion is at the disposal of Christians around the world. Been in existence about 2,000 years. Working with the 7.3 7 billion people that Coca-Cola is working with, there are 3 billion unreached. Now, 
Because we live in a capitalist society, words are often hijacked to mean new things so that we can sell our product. Uh, unfortunately, it's true in the mission world. So this world unreached has now come to mean just about anything. So people will say, well, my neighbor's unreached, or my neighborhood's unreached. Or they'll say, Tacoma, you know, the, the Northwest has the least number of churches in any place in the United States. Okay, they're not unreached, sorry. They're unevangelized. Should we plant churches in the Pierce County? Absolutely, let's plant more churches. But this is not call them unreached. Your neighbor who's never heard the gospel is not unreached. He's unevangelized. And there's a difference. So this word, missiologically speaking, means that of all of the Christians in the world, of those 550 million Christians in the world, if they all told everybody they could about the good news of Jesus Christ, there'd be 3 billion people that could not hear the gospel in an understandable way. 3 billion. You hold up the can of Coke of Jesus Christ and they go, I don't know what that is. Now why is that? They're separated by language, they're separated by geography, and they're separated by barriers of acceptance. That is, the gospel is so weird that it has no relevance or interest for them. It'd be like you, me coming to you and say, listen, are you interested in following Jesus? Here's all you gotta do. You gotta change your American citizenship to Russia. And you need to worship in Russian. Now, how many of us would take up that offer to follow Jesus? There's a few wild-eyed, crazy Jesus people who go, whatever, man, I love him, I'll just do anything. For the rest of us, we go, no thanks, not interested in becoming a Russian citizen or changing my passport or changing my different language. Why would I have to do that to follow Jesus? Exactly. That's exactly the point. For three billion people, many of them, that is the, that's the ask they've been made because the church that's nearest to them is totally irrelevant and is unacceptable. Three billion people beyond the reach. Now, how much money? Are we giving to reach this three billion people? So one-tenth percent of all giving, that's not all money. So the church worldwide gives about 2% of its income. Of that 2%, 98% is spent on itself. And of the 2% that left, one-tenth of 1% goes towards the unreached. So let's translate. If you make $100,000, that means two bucks a year is going to the unreached. And some of you are saying, I don't make $100,000. Exactly. The, the news is actually worse than this. It's pennies that are going to the unreached out of the total $107 trillion at the disposal of the church is going towards the unreached. Now, fortunately, I'm real glad to say that this is probably not Lake City. Uh, I talked to Randy, the treasurer. He said, man, we are a giving church. We had people come in. They give it. But you personally might want to evaluate these statistics to see how do they apply to you. And let me just provoke you to jealousy. You could do more. We could do more. We could give more. We could impact more. So don't let these lull you to sleep and saying that doesn't describe us. It does describe the church we're a part of. All right. Now, I realize that in church, usually I do the talking, you do the listening kind of thing. I want you to talk to each other right now. Okay, so if you're, um, if you're new here, I apologize. This doesn't usually happen. Come back next week. You'll be safe uh, from this kind of thing. But I would like you to talk with a group of three or other, four other people. Turn and talk with one or other that are right next to you and ask this question. Uh, where's the question? I want to phrase it exactly like I have it because I've messed it up. Wow. Oh, my notes are in the wrong order. There we go. Sorry about that. Why has Coca-Cola done more with less than the church? Why has Coca-Cola done more than less, more with less than the church? Two minutes, turn around and talk to three or four, and then I'm going to solicit.
Okay, you introverts, try a little harder. Talk to the person next to you. Okay, the lull in the conversation means we're ready. So I'm going to solicit a couple of responses. If you think your group has said something that's worth the rest of us hearing, uh, then I'm going to give you a chance to the mic. But does anyone know the impediment to the second great idea? The first great idea. Yeah, people often get stuck. So here's the answer I don't want, so no one can do it. Coke is easier to sell than Jesus. Got it. We all get that. Okay, so that's not the answer. We want another answer. So if your group came up with something, why has Coca-Cola done more with less than the church? No, no, I'll give it to you. Where are you? Raise your hand so I can see you. Is that you? It's name recognition. Name recognition. Yes. Tell me more. Well, name recognition so therefore as as people are familiar to coke then they are more responsive to coke how did they get familiar with coke airwaves commercials okay name recognition of coke is much higher that's true obviously by the statistics yes sir so we're we're thinking that coke obeyed its mission statement of reaching everyone and our church, the Christian church, does not obey. We are not going out with the same intentionality that Coke has. Great. Let's all go home. Amen. <laughs> Somebody else, did I see a hand over here? Back there. Okay. Why has Coke done more with less than the church? Well, now I'm nervous. Now you're nervous. Now Don't I'm nervous. Ner- I forgot. No, um, it's, just look at me. There's then. no, there's no moral obligations to drink a Coke to recognize that name. You don't have to sell anything other than the label. People say, you know, when they see it, they they that's Coke, but they don't know anything behind it. And when you try to quote unquote sell Jesus, you they have to make changes to their life. Coke, you can drink it if you believe in Jesus. You have to change, and a lot of people aren't willing to do that. You bet. There's a bigger ask. Absolutely, there's a bigger ask. Well, time for one more. All the smart people are on this side this morning, okay? The people selling Coke are motivated by selfish uh, reasons or self-serving reasons. So one way to look at that, there's an immediate feedback loop for Coke. By the way, if you're a parent, that's called delayed gratification. You try and teach that to your children. That's what we got. Exactly, man. All you get out of Coke is a sugar high and then the crash. Man, telling people about Jesus. Listen, you can figure out I kind of like to preach. I get this one chance. Now, I know that the church is not just about mission. Uh, One Sunday a week, praise the Lord, one Sunday a year. Uh, But I got one chance, which means I got to go for the heart of the matter. I got to nail this baby in hopes that we can, we can talk this morning about something that will change our hearts as individuals and as a people that will have us a greater impact in the world. I believe that the heart of the issue is our hearts, which should come up. There we go. The heart of the issue is our hearts. Uh, there, some of you have taken a class called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. It's been hosted here at 
uh, Lake City a couple of times. Yeah, it's a great class. Uh, thank you for that. Um, so I encourage you to take that. But I was running those in, in uh, Colorado, and there was a guy that spoke from Papua New Guinea, and he was telling me the story about one of his colleagues that was in another village among another unreached people group and telling about the good news. And, and the, the process, some of you have heard, is a... Is a, is a um, chronological approach to the Bible. So you start at Genesis and you work up so they get the whole story so then when they get to Jesus, they understand why it was so significant and what Jesus did. So he's talking with this elder and he gets the, all the parts and they've translated the language and then they get to Jesus and the penny drops. The elder gets it. He goes, wow, this is, this is great news. We need to tell the rest of the village about this. this is, he said, this is fantastic what, what Jesus has done for us. And he said, so um, let me see if I understand this right. So if if you don't have Jesus, then, then you're going to go to hell. And the missionary said, yeah, yeah, that's right. I think you've understood that correctly. And he goes, so what about my grandfather? And he said, well, I, you know, I, I trust God's mercy, but the scripture says if, if you don't have Jesus, you're doomed. You, you have no forgiveness for your sins. And the, the man was clearly disturbed. The elder was clearly disturbed. And he goes, well, so, was, you, was your dad a believer? And the missionary said, yes, actually, I'm fourth generation preacher. My father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, they were, they were all followers of Jesus. And the man said, so why didn't your father come and tell my father? And why didn't your grandfather tell my grandfather? And why didn't your great-grandfather tell my great-grandfather? So there's, there's a heart of the problem. It's not availability. It's not just that we don't have the resources. There's something that lies deeper. And I believe that the heart of the issue is our heart. And that's what Jesus said. He says, out of where your treasure is, there will your heart be. How can we get at this? How can we look at our hearts? If we have one thing, to let, let's see if we can drill right down into the heart of the matter and see what the scripture has to say about it. Uh, let me just give you one more quote before that because it's a pretty powerful quote. There's a guy, there was a big missions conference held by D.L. Moody. Have you ever, how many of you have heard of D.L. Moody? Oh, a number of you haven't heard of D.L. Moody. Tremendous Moody Bible College, saw some great revivals in Europe, in the United States, just tremendous, uneducated man that God used tremendously and powerfully. And he held a missions conference in England and people were coming from all over the world to do, talk about how they could reach the rest of the world. And one person was not able to win that meeting. His name was Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray was in a South African man. Actually, his parents came from, from the United Kingdom as missionaries to South Africa. He was born there, planted many churches, had seen a number of revivals under his ministry. Very very passionate about mission, but he couldn't attend this meeting. So he said, please send me everything about the meeting that you've got. Send me all the documents, all the preaching, everything that went on in the meeting. I'd like to hear more about it. And uh, so he read all the documents that came to him and he left, was very disappointed. He actually said, I, I think you've missed the point. And he penned this book called The Key to the Missionary Problem as a response to this missions conference. And here's what Andrew Murray said. He said, the key to the missionary problem is a personal one. There's so little enthusiasm for the kingdom because there's so little enthusiasm for the king. Let me repeat that. There's so little enthusiasm for the kingdom because there's so little enthusiasm for the king. And he pleaded with pastors to call their congregations to passionate love for Jesus. He pleaded with missionaries to pray until they were consumed and filled with the love of God. He said, we must pray. We must turn our hearts towards God. Otherwise, this is never going to be solved. We're never going to get around to the three billion. 
if we don't change this? Well, how can we see our hearts transformed to see the world transformed? The first thing is to know that the loved love. The loved love others. 1 John 4, verses 10 and 19. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. God's love found us. God searched us out when we weren't looking, when we were stuck in whatever sin. Do you remember the day without Christ? Do you remember the place that you were before the love of God found you? My mom and dad weren't saved, but we started to go to church. I remember when the love of Christ found me. I'm a recovering Pharisee. Some of you laugh unless you know what a Pharisee life is. I was stuck in legalism, proud self-righteousness, judging others, and rightly deserved by Jesus' word to be judged harshly myself because of the harsh judgment that I would pass out to others that weren't doing enough for the cause. And in that wicked state, unable to taste of the goodness of God, the love of God found me and had mercy on me, and saved me from a life of self-righteousness that was doomed to go nowhere. And the Holy Spirit showed me that the legalism sends more people to hell than any sin because the sinner eventually reaches the end and says, I need help, this is terrible. And the self-righteous Pharisee continues to say, I've got it, I've got it, I just need to work harder. And God saved me. Do you remember where the love of God met you? Do you remember when the love of God met you in your place of desperation, in your place of sin or pain? If you've raised in the church, then ask the Holy Spirit to bring this to you. I prayed for the brother at second service who said, Jesus said, um, he who has been forgiven much loves much. And I grew up in the church and I prayed the same prayer. I prayed this, I couldn't believe the brother said that because that was my prayer and God will meet it. If you've grown up in the church, say, God, show me how much you love me. Show me how much I've been forgiven. He sent Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sins and we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. The reason that we're not consumed perhaps with a love for the lost is because ourselves have not experienced the depth of the love of God. This is what Paul says. The love of Christ consumes me and controls me. We preach because I am consumed with the love of God. The love of God impassions me and emboldens me to go share the gospel because I can do other and no other. I am a debtor to his great love for me. He was so concerned about this that we, he prayed this prayer in Ephesians. This is what he prayed for the church. For this reason. So we'll come back because that means it's for a reason. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all God's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge experientially. Paul's prayer was, you've got to know this love. This love is what I pray for. You need power to receive and understand how high and bright and depth and how far have you gone, the love of God. How deep have you fallen? The love of God is there to know this. And he said, for this reason I pray. What reason did he pray that we would have that kind of love? You have to go back to what he said before. He says, even though I'm the least of the Lord's people, Grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Now God's intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms so that all things would be summed up in Christ. A revelation of the love of God is connected to the advancement of the kingdom. 
Paul is saying, because we've been given this mission to go to all the world and preach the gospel, I am praying for this reason that you will have a revelation of the love of God, of how much he loves you, of how much he cares for you, of how much he's willing to give to you. You know, when I was a young, younger Christian, the, I, I, I used to find the commands of Jesus burdensome to forgive one another. I just grit my teeth and say, it's really hard. You know, this person that's treating me so bad. Or generosity. Say, okay, well, I, I really should give to missions. It's a good thing to do. I really should give to the poor. And I'd pull it out and give it to it and struggle with that self of self-righteousness or that need not to judge others. Do you know what God, why God commands us to do those things? Because that's how he is towards us. God is merciful towards me. Therefore, I extend mercy. God forgives me and therefore I forgive others. Have you ever experienced the generosity of God? God giving to you just because he loves to? Just because you're his kid? Just because he wants to show you how much he loves you? And out of that place, it's pretty easy to be generous. Out of that place, I can forgive when I understand how much Christ gave me and the love of God. Have you experienced the love of God that controls your heart? If you've not, then do what saints have done for generations. Cry out to God and say, I need you. I need a revelation of you. I love to read about revivals. I love to read about men and women that God have used and done remarkable things. And these men and women often preach with such passion and such conviction about sin that people would fall in repentance. It said in Finney's messages that people would call, come forward and lie on the ground crying out to God for mercy. And he would say to them, Go to your seat. You're not ready. This guy could preach like sin, like nobody's business. But if you look at his life, Finney, if you look at Wesley, if you look at Moody, they will tell you that there came a time in their life when they were crying out to God, and what they experienced was waves of his love. Finney said, it became so overpowering, I had to cry out to God to stop because I was afraid my physical frame would actually break down under the experience of God's love. If you've never had that cry out, I stand as before you, not as someone that has arrived, but as someone that's saying, I want more of the love of God. As we've come back, I've said, I don't want to serve because it's cool or it's, it's the, the spiritual thing to do. Did you know that one of the greatest struggles of missionaries is to read their Bible and pray and stay connected to Jesus every day? It's one of the greatest struggles. You don't get a free ticket. Just because you go and do something for Jesus. You have to put yourself in a place to say, God, I need a revelation of your love. And it'll transform us. We'll be controlled. For God so loved the world that he gave. He loved. He calls us to love. When we love the sin, when we love the sinner, because of what we've experienced, hell shakes in its boots for the church that is consumed with that love. Two, Love obeys. Love obeys. Any of you read the book? Um, this is actually the first the scripture that I'm going to show up here, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The first scripture we would teach to Kazakhs in our discipleship process, uh, partly because it was so easy for us to memorize this, you know, really short. If you love me, you'll keep his commands. But partly because it was so, it's the key to discipleship and how to grow in Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Now, have any of you uh, marriage people, have you read the book Love Languages? 
Yeah, okay, some of you that may not be familiar with it. The idea is, is that we give love in ways that make sense to us. Like my love language is serving, acts of service. My wife's love language is uh, words of affirmation. So if I'm trying to speak to her in a way that makes sense to her, I do well to love her by words of affirmation. Do you know what God's love language is? Obedience. When we obey, he understands it as love. Now this is great news. Because if you're sitting in a place today where you don't feel the love of God, you say, I don't know if God really does. But you can obey God in the Great Commission. You can obey God's command. You can love him. Jesus goes on to say these remarkable words. This is a mystery. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and I will disclose or make myself known to him. Judas, one of the disciples, not Iscariot, says to him, so I don't get this. How is it that you're going to make yourself known to us and not to the world? Jesus repeats it again. He says, look, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him, or make our home with him. You know, we talk a lot about being. You, get, you, gotta do, you become this person, and then you do. The, being, the doing flows out of the being. Yeah, that's true. That is a true statement. But this just tells us the opposite, that in our doing, we can be something brand new. Jesus says, if you love me and you keep my commandments, I will love you. My Father will love you. We will come and make ourselves known to you in a new way. We'll come and move into your living room. We will live with you and close. The good news is, today if you feel distance from the Lord and you know he's calling you to something, to obedience, if you obey, the promise is that Jesus and the Father will come and reveal themselves in a new way to you. Now, I've heard some really funky gymnastics about how we get out of the Great Commission not applying to me. Well, I'm not called to go to the Kumuk. Great. It's still a command. Today, you have the opportunity to respond in some way to the Great Commission, the command to go and disciple all nations. And you can do something. You can do something in obedience to this command. And as you do, as you do, you'll be filled with a fresh Love relationship with Jesus. This is Jesus' promise to The way we can renew our hearts is obedience and experience his love. Third, love fulfills another's wishes. John Piper, as, as Tom already quoted, said, Mission exists because worship does not. I remember when I first read this, this verse, John 3.35. It says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. And so for some reason, I'd read that a number of times, I just stopped in my tracks and I thought, the father loves the son. And he's given something to him, everything into his hands. I love the son. I love Jesus. What can I give to Jesus that he doesn't have? And I got excited because I thought, you know what? By engaging in among the unreached that are not yet worshiping him, not giving praise to him who rightly deserves it, I'm involved in giving to the son something that's rightfully his. You can give something to Jesus precious because it's the Father's wish to give it to him. They got this little video clip I'm going to show you from the Princess Bride. Uh, yeah, I know it's a chick flick. It's one of my favorite, though. This is the very beginning, and uh, I think you'll probably pick up the, the message here pretty quick. Nothing gave Buttercup as much pleasure as ordering Wesley around. Farm boy, polish my horse's saddle. I want to see my face shining in it by morning. As you wish. As you wish was all he ever said. Farm boy, fill these with water. 
please? As you wish. That day, she was amazed to discover that when he was saying, as you wish, what he meant was, I love you. And even more amazing was the day she realized she truly loved him back. Phone boy. Fetch me that picture. So she said, she was amazed to realize that when he was saying, as you wish, he really meant, I love you. Jesus tells this, one of the most beautiful stories, I think, in the New Testament about he's sitting at dinner and a woman comes in with an alabaster jar and it's filled with pure nard, which is a very expensive perfume. And scholars say that it was probably for her wedding for that time for part of her dowry. So it was thousands of dollars in value by, by current market standards that she brought in. And she, she breaks this thing and she pours it over the feet of Jesus and she rubs it with his hair. And, and it says the fragrance filled the whole room that everyone could smell this fragrance she'd done. He says the disciples in their self-righteous, pharisaical, legalistic said, ah, should have been sold for the, for the poor. Think of all that money just wasted on the feet of Jesus. Jesus says, be quiet. She's done a beautiful thing for me. And wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what she has done will be told. Because the love was extravagant. She didn't have to do it. She wanted to do it. No one commanded her to go and break that thing that was precious to her and put it on the feet of Jesus. She wanted to do it from her heart. I believe that we can renew our hearts when we begin to say, oh, Father, I just love Jesus like you. I would like to do something. I would love to do something that would get Jesus more praise and more honor and more gratitude because I himself have experienced his love and compassion. So love fulfills another's wishes. How's your love life? How's your love life? I can't answer that question for you. You're going to have to take some time, spend time with the Lord, ask yourself, where am I in my love relationship with Jesus? There's a couple of practical things you could do that could help you because they're indications of where our affections are, and that is our time, our money, and our words. Where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our money? What do you talk about? These are things that help us understand, as I say, in preparing for our time. I've cried out to God and said, I, I want to love you more. I, I, I want to give myself. There's been distractions that I've had, things that I've focused on that, that are not you. And I want to give more of you. Because what has love got to do with it? Everything. Love's got everything to do with it. Because the people that love their God shall do exploits. Well, I hesitate to bring us to this point. Uh, because, as I said, I'm a recovering Pharisee, and I could take out the statistics and tell you how the church ought to do more, how you ought to do more, how we ought to do more, how it's wrong of you to enjoy a cup of coffee when that coffee could be going uh, to the unreached. So I hesitate to say this next part. 
But I want to show you about the unreached people groups and what you could do, what we could do together as a practical act, application of love. So we're, we're talking about area Dagestan. This is the region of the world that we're looking at. And if you look at the Caspian Sea there, just to the, to the east of it, Kazakhstan is on the other side of the Caspian Sea. So we've been taking believers from Kazakhstan, uh, Muslim believers, over here, right up to the, just to the area above Dagestan. So this is the area where we're talking about. The people groups we're talking about are the Kaza, uh, the Kumuk, the Akin, and the Nogai. You can see 650,000 people between the three of them, less than 60 known believers in all of that group. So we're talking about people where no praise of Jesus is happening yet. And the CAN team, that's the, this team that's done this, they've worked really hard and done so. You can't imagine how much they've accomplished in three months to get ready for this and some things that we're planning to do from the launch tonight. And they have a table right over there. So you can talk to some people, you can get involved, you can pray, you can give, you can see the other things, you can get some information about the CAN. So go over to those folks who have really worked hard to, to make this. So what could this action steps could we do? So if you've learned anything about education, you know that in education, people learn, retain very small percentage of what they hear. A slightly one if they hear it and see it at the same time, but they really retain it if they do it. So if we do anything from here, just one thing, if we do one thing, we'll be good disciples of Jesus. So here's some things that we could do. And if I would pick one, this is the one I'd pick for each of us. I will reflect on where my affections are by, you fill in the blank. I've given you some suggestions. I, I really believe, like Andrew Murray said, that if we become passionate for the king, we'll become passionate for the kingdom about seeing his love extended to, to those that have yet read it. So see, see that. Second, I will obey Christ by, is there a place that Christ, that you know that you're not obeying Christ, that the Holy Spirit put his finger and said, hey, listen, Kurt, John, this area I'm asking you to give attention to. The great promise of this is, is that you will experience greater intimacy with Christ. Three, I will give regularly and sacrificially to missions. Listen, I, I, I'm just saying, this is, it's your money. You're not going to get to heaven and go, I wish I'd have remodeled the bathroom. You say, I wish I would have done more for the kingdom. You're investing in great stuff. By the way, since I forgot about this earlier, this here is a, a handcrafted vase from apricot word inlay with metal from Dagestan. And uh, one of the brothers there is trying to help start to import these. But this beautiful piece of handmade vase could be yours for free. $100 value, because it'll be given away tonight at the Sunday. Have you heard enough yet about coming tonight? It's Sunday, Sunday. Someone's going to get this for free. And uh, so give regularly. Number two, pray. I will pray for these unreached people groups, part of our new. Now listen, over there's a sign up. The CAN team is trying to recruit people to pray for 30 minutes a week. They'll send you a weekly update by email. You'll know how to pray. And listen, if we don't pray, it's not going to get done. Praise the Lord that Lake City Community Church is a praying church. We pray first. We have this testimony of the Tamajic. They started praying. If we pray, it'll make a difference. Paul said that in the light of the, of the unbelievers, the enemy has blinded their eyes. There's a veil over their eyes lest they see the light of the gospel. Our job is to uh, lift the veil so they can see Jesus. That happens by prayer. Sign up over there. You can make an eternal difference for people by praying. And second, the last thing, of course, we'd love to see you tonight at the dessert. You can come. You can have a good time. We'll gladly take your offerings for the Lord. And uh, the good news is, is that 100% of it will go towards the projects that we've identified. None of it will come to the church. So as Mark and the worship team come back out, let me just invite you to just ask the Father if there's anything 
that you've heard this morning that he'd like to take action on. If you don't know Jesus, Mark's going to give you a chance. If you've never experienced the pursuing love of God, today's your day. You can, you can know God that way as someone that loves you for who you are. So, Father, we invite you right now to speak to us. If there's any place in our heart, is there anything that holds us back from a passionate revelation of your love, anything that you want us to obey, speak to us now by your Spirit. Father, we love Jesus. Thank you so much for sending him that you loved us and sent Jesus. We love you because you first loved us. Fill us afresh. Fill us afresh with an experiential knowledge of your love. For Jesus' sake, amen.